Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. How's it going, Good Eva? <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, a lot has changed in my life. It's great. We're in the new house, and let's start with that real quick. So, if you're in the state of Utah, um, it's a well. Can I call it a snowpocalypse? I feel like it's pretty gentle. It is right now. Gentle. It's pretty heavy, but then not like blizzard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty. Um, so it snowed really heavily yesterday. And the one thing that we tried to get before the snow hit us, uh, was a shuffle, uh, and <laughs> some salt and we didn't get any of them because Home Depot was like, Nope, sold out. Everything sold out. <laughs> and we're like, okay, okay, we'll deal with it. And then we thought about using the push room to get rid of the snow in the driveway, <laughs> but uh, our, our, push room if anybody has the same one tell me how you put it together it's one that we got from home depot and it's called what is that bulldozer it has like a hexagon thing in the handle but you also have to screw it in but then the hexagon doesn't fit into it the thing when you're screwing it in so it's kind of like a three layers of (laughs) failure here (laughs) we didn't have anything so today we're just not going to go outside but nice yeah yeah, new and, house. It's great. Yeah, nice. That that's super exciting. And I and I feel like we've kind of got off a little bit easy in Utah where almost the rest, I don't know about the rest of the country, but like parts of the country are like I'm just looking at a map right now, like negative oh. 32 degrees and it's like uh, yeah, in some places like the Midwest and even down in Texas. So my oh, wife has family in Texas. And it's like zero degrees down there, which for this time of year and for Texas is just absolutely insane. So super cold and snowy here, but just other places right now, it's huh. the weather's just really, really crazy. Really cold. Uh, yeah. That's so weird. I feel like it's warmer here. Am I wrong? Or is Yeah, that- it's warm. I mean, it's it it dove down. So pretty cold. Right? Like we're in the twenties or thirties. But other places, it's just super freezing right now. So glad we're not zero degrees or negative 20 degrees or something. It's odd to think that Texas is getting snow and that kind of temperature. Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it through this decade? Uh, It's Yeah, 2021 is in a hold my beer moment, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Don't jinx it. Yeah. I I worry, but... We've been talking about how Utah this year, we've been like feeling a little warmer than previous years in the winter time. And I'm like, oh no, we're all burning up. Oh no. (laughs) And yeah, this is scary. But can I ask you a question that is unrelated to weather? Yes. Um, What are those presents behind you? It's not Christmas anymore. (laughs) It's just Chinese New Year. That just happened. (laughs) I'm guessing that has nothing to do with the presents. No. Today's Valentine's Day. I don't know. If so, we're yes, recording okay. on Valentine's Day in the morning, <laughs> uh, and so I've yeah I've got Valentine's Day presents behind me, which 
funny wow. enough, yeah, has turned into. So Valentine's Day this year is a little bit strange, probably for everybody. One, it's on a Sunday. Two, it's in a pandemic, and so like we're very, we're doing very very little like outside. And for us, it's it's become very, I don't know, a little bit bizarre. But it's basically turned into like a mini Christmas. So our kids oh. have been, yeah, have been super pumped about it for like <laughs> for for weeks almost. And I, it, yeah, it's super fun because they just they love holidays for one thing. So like leading up to it, we've been doing activities, and I'm like Valentine's Day is really not for you guys. But they just completely ignore <laughs> right. that. And they're like, no, it's Valentine's Day. It's super fun. And <laughs> and so like they, yeah, they got stuff this morning. I don't know how that happened, but they, yeah, they've gotten presents. Aww. My wife has, you can see, you you on the podcast can't see, but Eva, you can see yep. that over the last little while, I've accumulated some gifts, which uh, have amounted to a decent amount at this point. So not small gifts kind of make up for the fact that we're not doing as many things but they are going to be very very nice gifts yeah. i you can maybe i'll talk about them on a later show or you can check out uh some instagram posts or something like that after the fact but they're going to be very very nice so anyway it's turned into like yeah. a follow-up to christmas is basically what valentine's day is now for us that's kind of nice because i do yeah. you're, you're right what do you do you just on Valentine's Day, when you have kids in the same house with you, you can't really like do a nice dinner. <laughs> You're just doing a normal family dinner and kids are going to be there, right? Yep. Yeah. But that's kind of fun. Yeah. So we've just, we've turned it into like a complete celebration. So it's just, it's like a fun, it's like a party day. So we just, we're doing activities. We're going to, we're going to like make cookies and paint and just do all sorts of fun things as a family do a bunch of gifts. The kids have made all sorts of like Valentine's gifts and decorations and stuff like that. So our house is just, it's fun. Valentine's day is fun. That does sound, sound like a follow-up to Christmas. It I'm is. jealous. Yeah. We're not doing anything because we're just busy. <laughs> we just got them moving. And we're like, yeah. let's just, let's just sit down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chinese new year and that also happened and we kind of didn't do anything for it either. <laughs> My whole family, they're like eating nonstop. And I'm over here just like, well, we did some Chinese takeouts and just, just try to not do any work to celebrate, but still partake in the <laughs> holiday yeah. spirit in a way. But yeah, not much really I want to do this weekend. Just going to chill in my new house. There you go. The glorious new house. And the new house. Yeah. yeah. Which is too bad because this, this really should be like a fun, fun weekend if you think about it. Because you have the the new year, which yep. um, we don't celebrate, but we that would be fun to celebrate. Um, you have Valentine's Day. And then technically you have President's Day on Monday, which should make it a nice, long, fun weekend. Um, oh, none of those things have kind of come together in any like meaningful huh. way. I don't even get President's Day off as like um, me either. <laughs> so yeah, what what I don't know what the deal is with that or what happened, but uh, that's um, super lame. My kids do like yeah, schools, I was gonna say yeah, schools are out not just for Monday but Tuesday too. Like they're just they're like let's take President's Day and let's take the day after. That's how it should be. It's like hey, it's a holiday. Let's take that day and then the next day and let's yeah. just let's take a break. I like that also, attitude. Kids- 
kids don't need holidays as much as adults do. No. <laughs> so <laughs> why don't we get it off? I, I actually, you know what? We're gonna start a petition one of these days. Just like we demand the same holidays as kids, and especially for parents. I I don't even have kids, and I'm here feeling the pain for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my yeah, wife's so- super excited because I mean the day off for them is also the day off for her. And she is doing way more work for the at-home school than uh, just about anybody. So I'm sure all of the parents doing school remotely are just over the moon about getting the two days off as well. And I know that she is. So she's super excited about having two days off. And I'm like, I wish that I could join in on that, but I'm going to be in meetings and stuff, which is super lame. And speaking of all the likes and dislikes about <laughs> normal lives that we're living in this pandemic, and this is my segue, if you can't tell already. Um, yeah, we have a lot of feelings about a lot of things and also about our jobs. And so, Kyle, what are we talking about today? Good question. <laughs> so we are talking about our top likes and dislikes in product management and product design. So we thought we would put together a list of, I think we're at our top three likes and our top three dislikes for each of these things within our roles. Um, So this is something that I've been thinking a little bit about over the last little while. And I actually saw a thread on Reddit um, a little bit ago too, that was along the same topic. And I was like, Ooh, some other people are thinking about some of the, the same things that I am. So we thought it'd be an interesting topic for us to talk about on the podcast. You know, what are, what are some of the real things that we love in our day-to-day role? And what are some of the the things that just are not as fun that we do either on a day-to-day basis or within our roles that just, we have to do them, but we don't like them. With that, Eva, do you want to kick us off? What, what are your, what are your top three Things that we'll start with dislikes just so that we can end on a positive note of what are what are the top three things that we like. So what are the top three things that you dislike in the role of product slash UX design? Just want to echo back to what we talked about at the beginning. I want holidays off like kids do <laughs> when they have days off. Well, that's just in general uh, as a working adult. But so... Um, on my list, I, I do have to put out a disclaimer that my dislikes are not that strong because I really like <laughs> this, this this job and this discipline. And but these are things that I really do feel. And let's start with the one that I really stand behind. <laughs> this happened hasn't happened yet, but I think um, the again this hasn't happened, and I hope that it will never happen. But it really depends on. Um, who your product manager is, and that can heavily, you know, <laughs> affect your your day. And that relationship is so so intimate with your product manager that it scares me sometimes. Thinking like, what if the next product I work on, the product manager is not someone you know who I can get along with, or just the way we work on things is um, very opposite, or however that is. But this is more like an imaginary one. I'm just also starting with this one because it <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Um, but that is something that has scared me in the past where I'm thinking like, okay, um, we really have to be in this, yeah, very close working relationship and what I provide and what that person provides have to work together following the same direction. I 
really do see that being a big opportunity where things don't turn out well and it will heavily make your you know job hell right um i i think it's very true between product manager and product designer so starting with that one i i just dislike the idea that <laughs> that external factor has so much to do with um how much i'm going to enjoy my job so that one's kind of my biggest but this is almost like a fear and but i i, I dislike that Maybe it's getting personal, maybe in my head where (laughs) I'm psychoanalyzing myself now saying it out loud is just that fear of how heavy this can affect my days. But again, it hasn't happened yet. So, but I do dislike the idea that someone can affect your days so much and luckily haven't had to do with that yet. So yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, so far all the product managers I've worked with are great, um, but I think you can see why I think it goes both ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I think that that's huge potential there for difficulty across and especially with the, especially in the design role, um, you know, you rely so much on the, on the product manager for working across the product in general, that if you don't have somebody that is good to work with or that relationship, uh, works really well, that can be super, super difficult. Um, and I think that probably goes for all of the relationships and interactions, especially within like the product team, kind of the core, like engineering, product design. And then as you kind of expand that out, like some of those key interactions, if those aren't working well, uh, that can be super, super difficult. So, yeah. 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 It might experiences just because I started out doing, you know, graphic design and to like web design. And I don't think I've ever been in a partnership that is this <laughs> intimate in a way where it's, yeah, it's just very different than, than, than the working relationship than, you know, other uh, colleagues that you have. So, and so far, I think also because I've had really good product managers working with me together, it's been great. And I, I really like my job also because of that. Um, so yeah, that, that's why I put that kind of, um, top of my list. And, <laughs> and that also segue into my second dislike. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> one is so as you know, like product manager and product designer, we work together to kind of talk about like strategy. What do we want to do in the product and how can we, you know, take care of the users in whatever ways that will work with the, uh, and how we can actually make these things into actionable goals, it, you know, following the roadmap and all these things. Right. And having to kind of operate across the spectrum on the ground level, like, cause for me, like I have to run tests and then do actual UI design. And then that's more ground level individual contributor level of work. And then goes across up to like talking about strategy. What, what do we need to do? It can feel very, very busy. And also kind of, sometimes I feel like my brain is being torn apart because I'm thinking about something that is very deep in the ground level. And then all of a sudden, when we go into a meeting to talk about high level strategy, it can feel very draining. Um, though kind of actually, uh, (laughs) I try not to schedule my day with, you know, that, why spectrum of like jumping from something very granular to like very high Mm -hmm. level always feels like, Oh, wait, I'm, you know, very zoomed in and coming out of that, it takes time. And then I have to think about how I can contribute in that meeting on a high level. It can get, yeah, it feels like my brain can blow up. So that's kind of my second big one. Um, I don't know. Do, do, do you feel like in the project man- management, 
do you ever feel the same way where it's like cutting across all spectrum of just what you need to do during the same day? Yes. And you, um, you kind of get into probably one of the things that I'll talk a little, a little bit about too, is just the difficulty of trying to manage, uh, the amount that you're being asked to do. And then two focusing, like focusing in and then focusing out and like, how do you balance all of that? So yeah, it can be, can be a massive, massive challenge. So yeah. And the way I think about it too, is that people talk about context switching when you're switching from task to task. And I think that is almost like a, a version of context switching when you go from mm-hmm. a different level, even though it's about the same product, but it's a jump in a leap, you know, in, in the way you approach this, uh, subject and yeah. And I feel like I'm using this as a therapy session, but <laughs> it really is a second uh, one. And it's a very real, just, I, I call it dislike, but it's, things that I think there's still a way you can control your days and make sure you schedule things a little bit apart uh, when you're trying to operate on different different levels. And I feel like a lot of product designers probably have a spectrum of tasks that, you know, cuts across these uh, different contribution levels. So that's, I guess, pro tip, just schedule your days in a way that is not going to blow up your brain. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. my second one. And my last one, this one is also small, but this one is definitely more on the ground level is that being a product designer, when running tests and talking about, you know, strategy with product managers, all these different tasks and also working with engineers, there's so many, uh, cross-functional collaboration, which I love, which I will talk about in a second, but talking to people and testing and doing all these things can be very exhausting. And also like, you're also tasked to, you know, have to evangelize or educate your peers about product design and user experience and all these things. I think it's very hard to get time often to just have that head down and hammering out something from um, beginning to finish without being interrupted or having to just talk to 500 people. And I feel like myself, I am uh, not introverted, but also not super extroverted. I like talking to people, but sometimes it gets to a point where I'm just like, this is too much talking, too much, you know, testing and too much, you know, just, uh, for, for myself. And it, those days can feel very, very exhausting. And again, I try to schedule them not all in the same day, but sometimes you can't, you just got to get stuff done. Um, but I think if you don't, like talking to people or need to recharge, you know, after you talk to people, this can be something that you end up not liking if you pack them all together. Yeah. So yeah, those are my dislikes and I feel like they're probably pretty gentle compared to, um, my likes, (laughs) but, um, I guess today I'm going to choose today to not be the bigger hater because sounds like Kyle, you have some more bigger dislikes. Uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking more and more about just what is, what's the get real about this, you know, about product management. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it and I'll I'll probably have a lot more to say. I've, I've been thinking about it a ton lately. So we won't, we won't be too negative here, but I, I think this is an interesting topic. So anyway, my, I think I said top three, but it's four now. 
I'm okay. now afraid that your list is going to inspire me to get more real and more items on my dislike yeah, list. We're get, yeah, oh, we're getting please. real here. Okay. Look, All right. Product management is, it's fun. It's a good role. But like anybody who tells you that it's like, it's awesome all the time and stuff, they're lying to you. Like it can be super difficult. So like, we're, we're just going to get real and it, it is hard a lot of the time. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> with that, here are the four things that I came up with and then this list will probably grow, but more on that <laughs> later. This is it for now. Okay. What you said, this is what I added to, uh, so being pulled so number one, being pulled in uh, multiple directions all the time. So that is that's a super difficult one. You're being asked to do like a lot of things. This has a corollary in my likes as well, though. So but anyway, in the dis in the dislikes, um, being pulled in multiple directions, like very, very frequently without the ability to like focus in on a either a set of tasks or something for like the right amount of time. So this happens all the time as a product manager, because you're, you're usually working across a whole bunch of different areas on, you know, with a bunch of different people, stakeholders and development team and design and, you know, sales and marketing and all of that. And so having to balance all of that can be very, very difficult. And so you're constantly being pulled in like one direction and then the other. And then somebody will put like a meeting on your calendar to talk about something that, uh, you know, that will go into another meeting and, and that sort of thing. It can be really, really jarring to, you know, be context switching all of the time and, you know, try and figure out when are you going to have time to focus on one thing or, you know, you thought you were going to be doing one thing, but then, you know, somebody has something on fire. And so you have to, you know, switch over to something else. So number one, uh, not my, not my biggest dislike, but that's, that's actually probably lightest dislike. So I'm going, I might be going in order of like easy to hardest. So number two is the project management aspect of product management. Mm all product management has a project aspect of it. So you have to be managing your product, uh, getting things done, getting things out the door and, and stuff like that. That is not, I don't think that's any product manager's favorite thing or even something that they like. If they did, they probably would have gone into project management and <laughs> would be like doing that all the time. Frankly, like it, it sucks. And so, but you, you do it because you want to like deliver stuff and you want right. to be getting, you know, keep things moving along and, and all of that where it gets even more difficult though, is when you have an organization or like a division or something like that, that is much more oriented around project management. And so trying, they try and either turn your job into more project management or think of product man management as project management. So trying to fight that mindset battle, which I, I wrote about a while ago, still super relevant. Uh, if, you, if you're interested, uh, maybe we'll link it in the show notes, product thinking versus project thinking. Like there's a, there's a big difference and, you know, being very outcome driven versus being date driven or feature driven, that sort of thing. So 
that is one of the other things for me is the really the project management aspect of it, whether it's within the product, which there will always be some of that. It's, I don't think it's my favorite thing at all. I don't think it's many product managers favorite thing. And then there's also like the external aspect of it, which gets even more difficult. Like if you have an organization that's very, very project focused or project heavy. All right. That's such a good one. I I witnessed that a lot and it's a tough situation to be. And to push that one step further too, is that I've seen product managers who have to do project management and sometimes they don't have a product designer either. <laughs> and that's a lot of jobs that you kind of have to just like, oh, okay, I'll put that hat on for, for this one time. And then it eventually can become like, oh, so-and-so will just do it all. And yep. that is not healthy. And yeah, I, I I can see all that happening across and being put on the product manager. Yeah. Yep. All right. Number three, all of these have corollaries and things that I really enjoy about product management. So if, if you feel like I'm just getting down too much here, just wait, <laughs> like hang tight with us. So number three, short termism, which isn't just in product management, but you will deal with it in product management all the time. And what I mean by that is not being able to focus on like what is the long-term goal or of what you're doing. Like what is your like what is your product trying to achieve over the long term and you just have to focus on either uh, you know shipping the next feature or you know what is this next quarter i think that that is something very specific to companies so like when companies get very very focused on short term uh goals or short term outputs or short com- mm-hmm. short term outcomes then that filters back down into the products as well. And so you get caught up in like the short termism. So as opposed to building like a product that is, you know, very focused on the the user experience long term and like what is uh what is the goal, the long-term goal of this product, you you just get focused on, you know what is the next sales deal? You know, what does this next quarter look like? And you don't have the chance to put together like a really good cohesive experience that is going to have like a long-lived product and a a long-lived product experience. So if you hear something like, uh, you know, we, we just closed this deal and now we have to do these features or, you know, this is a really big sales deal we, you know, what do we have to do in order to build this thing to close it? If you think I'm talking specifically about one or any specific company, like if those, if that cuts deep to you, just know that it is many, many companies. Like this is, this is like almost everybody. So everybody feels this kind of pain uh, of short termism and it, it can be super difficult. So rather than like focusing on what is the long-term vision or strategy of yeah. our, com- not just our company, but like the products that we're building? Like we, we are just focusing on like, okay, we have to build this one thing for maybe this one customer or this one user, yeah. even if it doesn't fit in with like what we're doing. Maybe we don't even know what we're, what the long-term thing is that we're doing. 
And that is just super difficult as, as a product manager, because I was thinking about it earlier. We love, so we love to build Lego sets, my son and I, like it's just super fun. So we, we start with, um, so if you, if you're building a Lego set, you're building like the Batmobile, which we did super cool Batmobile. Um, you kind of have an idea of what, and this isn't a perfect analogy, no analogy is, but go with me here. You're building the Batmobile and you kind of have, you know, where you're going to get with, with the Lego set. And so if somebody comes to you, it's like, we have this robot arm. Let's get this into this Lego set. Like, eh, we know that we're building a Batmobile. Robot arm really doesn't fit in with the Batmobile. Having an idea of like what you're doing long-term really lets you know that like, hey, this blue robot arm doesn't really fit in with what we're doing. And so you're able to kind of like decide, should should we put this into our Batmobile? And that's kind of the same idea. Like you don't get caught up in, you know, this this robot arm is is awesome. Like it's going to be so good for us to have a robot arm. And it and that's what I think when we talk about like long term goals and long term strategy and long term vision, like it gives us an idea of where we're going. And and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this in when we get to some of the likes, but not being able to have uh, some of that long term goal and strategy and vision for both the company and a product means that we're constantly spinning on like, all right, we'll, we'll put a robot arm in and okay, we'll put like 10 wheels on this thing. And eventually you kind of turn a product into like, we don't even know what this is anymore because we've put so many different things into it. Like this, it's not a Batmobile anymore. It's not anything like we've just kind of put all of this stuff in. We had no idea what we were trying to build. Now we've built something and it's, it's here. We've made a whole, we've like, we've got a whole bunch of sales deals and we've built a whole bunch of stuff, but it, we've like made a monstrosity and like that is super difficult as a product manager getting caught up in like short term, uh, feature building as opposed to like, uh, long-term, what are we building? Why are we building it? Like what problems are we solving? So anyway, not to say that we can't, we can't be flexible and and adapt and that sort of thing. Like maybe we don't ultimately want to build a Batmobile. Like maybe it does have different things in it than we envision, but we don't want to turn it into a monstrosity either. So that's that's a it's one of my big things. It's like we we can't yeah. get caught up in like super short termism at the expense of what is it that we're trying to achieve and what are the best ways to get there. I really like that. And that also echoes to a principle that I really support in the, I mean, this is how we talk about it in the world of product design and maybe other people have heard it outside of the product design circle is why would we, you know, prioritize short-term gain over, um, the long-term relationship that you have with your users. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about here. Like if you're planning on to, to, to build, 
does Batmobile at the end, you end up with the car, they drive in the walking dead with spikes coming out of the <laughs> tires and all these crazy things like, what are you actually, you know, achieving there? So I really, really like that you brought up that point. And, and maybe this is why I, my top dislike and maybe slash fear is having, you know, a product manager that doesn't stick with that long-term goal. Cause it is so easy. If this literally happened last week where one of the product managers, I know we don't work together, but um, he came and said, well, sales just came back with this list of, you know, demands from this one particular customer that they're about to renew the contract. And it's like X million dollar contract. And do you, do you just, do you, do you just go with that list and, you know, delete your roadmap or what do you do? Yeah. And it, there is a, you know, cost on the line if you do it or you, you don't do it. What does that cost? And yeah, that is a very big question of like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. I, 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 I see why this is on your dislike. List. <laughs> yeah. And it's a difficult thing. And it's, for me, it's really a matter too of like, it's not just having the, well, we'll talk about it more, but we'll, we'll, we'll riff on that one a little bit more. And, yeah. This episode. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one is the, so number four, I know, I know everybody's going to be on board with this, but politics and bureaucracy uh, and you'll get, if you're in product management, pretty much if you're in any role, you'll understand, but if you're in product management, like you'll, you'll get it. You'll be like on the front lines of fighting a whole bunch of this all the time because you'll be, you'll be working with sales and you'll be working with marketing. You'll be working with engineering. A lot of times you'll be working with like leaders and executives and things like that. And so you will be fighting constant political bureaucratic battles and it will be just, you will be beating your head against a wall constantly being like, why is it like this? I don't understand. It's just beyond uh, silly why we're doing some of the things that we're doing and why does it have to be like this? Uh, some people thrive in that. Some people are there for the politics and some people literally want the, you know, they either build up, you know, their own uh, political uh, capital and then, you know, help kind of establish the bureaucracy. And that's how they, how they get ahead. I think for most product managers that I know, it's just an absolute barrier to like getting good things done. Cause we really rely on getting things done as quickly as we can, getting the things into the hands of users and moving quickly, you know, speed being such an important competitive advantage uh, that having to deal so much with like politics and bureaucracy and that sort of stuff that it's just so incredibly difficult. And anybody who says that, you know, that's just the way it is or, or, you know, that's organizations or whatever, like that's just absolute, uh, BS. Like it, it shouldn't have to be that way. And I'm, um, yeah, tired. I'm tired of that. But, uh, an example, like we, this is from a few years ago, but we had, so this is on uh, one of our product teams. So I uh, had one of the product managers was within uh, my group was working on uh, getting approval for one of the things that we were doing. And uh, he had to 
basically go through so much red tape that was kind of put in front of him. It was just baffling to me. And I, I felt like powerless to stop it because it was with the executives. Like they kept wanting more and more information, more like market research and competitive research and analysis and that sort of stuff. And like, I, I kept beating my head against the wall, like trying to, to tell them like, we, we shouldn't need to do this. Like we uh, speed here is going to be a competitive advantage. Like, let's just uh, do not that we shouldn't do some due, some due diligence and figure out the best path. But like, if we keep trying to dive deeper and deeper into this, like it's not going to give us any more information than we already have, but they, they kept wanting more and more and more. And so it was like, I'm sorry, I've done all I can, but you're just going to have to give them what they want. Like keep, keep going for months, like months and months. Uh, we, we just dove deeper into the analysis and stuff like that. Um, and it got to the point, I was like, we are on a path and the, with the amount of time that we're putting into like researching this, the default path is going to be the path that we're on. Like we're not going to change it. Like we're just, we're already working in a certain direction. And all this is doing is just confirming that we're not going to, to change anything. And so it was baffling to me over a relatively small decision that we would do that amount of like uh, work and analysis and stuff like that. And so having to do that was just, it felt a little bit silly. And then ultimately that was the, that was what it came down to is we'd spent so much time (laughs) analyzing and doing research and stuff like that, that it was like, well, it's too late to change at this point. So we're going to just continue on the path that we're on. And, and that was a conclusion that we came to. And I was like, all right, we knew that we were going to be there anyway, but I'm glad that we had to do all of the political maneuvering and go through all the bureaucracy and stuff like that in order to get there. And so, yeah. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but I just have one key question. Yeah. I think you were hinting at it, but do you think it was more efficient, cheaper, quicker to actually to do the thing that you're trying to convince everyone, everyone that you should do compared to actually doing all the analysis and then sounds like it took more work than actually doing the thing that you wanted to propose. Oh yeah, no, it was like the decision. uh, That was the ironic part is the decision, like the annual cost of the decision that we were making was the same as the, the work that we put in to do all of the analysis during like the couple of months. So like those two costs were the, like were the same. Um, and that was just, so I, I wrote, um, uh, a newsletter post on this last week, I think. So go productthinking.cc on Amazon, uh, and Jeff Bezos. Uh, so whatever your thoughts are on Amazon and Bezos, that's you, you can have those one thing that they do and do really well is address some of these issues and speed and agreement is something that they're very, very keen on. Even if it's disagree and move forward, um, that's one of the key, the key principles. And it's, uh, in order to avoid this kind of circular motion of like, you know, we need to analyze something to death, even if it's, you know, we only have 70% of the information we need, 
that's fine. We don't have to be certain about something in order to move forward with it. Let's just get enough information. If we're wrong, we can step it back. If it's huge decisions, they're going to be super consequential. Then let's take a little bit more time. But this was one of those decisions that's like, it's not big enough for us to be taking the amount of time that we're taking on it. Like, let's, let's look at it, like decide upfront, like how big of a decision is something like this? How, how much will it take us to walk back? If it turns out that we're wrong, how big of a risk is it to be wrong in something like this? That was like one of the first things and not a huge risk. It's not something that's going to take a ton to walk back. Even if we're massively, massively wrong, which the risk of being wrong on wasn't huge to begin with. And so all of those things, it's like, we really don't need to burn a ton of time on this. Like, let's just look at it, you know, figure that, Hey, this is a good enough decision for, for what we need move forward. And so that's just one example of kind of like the, the politics and bureaucracy. We just, we don't need to be so certain all the time of what we're doing. I think we just need to have an idea. And this is something I found too, is that we can verify and validate with a lot less information than we think we can. And often uh, acting on that and then validating with something that's actually working. So taking the designs and ideas and prototypes and stuff like that, validating concepts quickly, and then taking that, the thing that will convince everybody the, the very, very fastest is a very basic working uh, prototypes and, and actual software. Like nothing fancy, nothing that is... Uh, you know, you've spent, you know, months and months working on, but something that's actually working and, you know, move that forward and, you know, get people actually, you know, using something that is real soon as, as soon as we've done that in every role that I've had, everybody's been like, Oh wow. Yeah. This, this is actually something all doubts have been like gone and it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. okay. But yeah, we, you know, we had doubted before, but now we can actually see something and, and we're ready to get on board. So like, rather than kind of going through months and months of, of research and validation and, and, and kind of the politicking and all of that, like actually just doing it can be so much more persuasive and so much more powerful. So anyway, the, that's, it. yeah, that that's one of the huge things for me. It's just the bureaucracy that prevents that and the, the politicking and, and that sort of stuff. Huge, huge part of, I think most organizations, unfortunately, and is part of something that you'll deal with in product management, but uh, just not, not fun. I want to add a little bit to the body of what you just said too, because really I like and upvote and support everything you just <laughs> said. And it, very harmful to the process because the point of testing and kind of using all the prototype to test out an idea is to eliminate all these like assumptions or analysis and due diligence that are going to cost you more time to actually find a specific answer to this specific question and putting politics over innovation, uh, which, you know, takes experiments and it is a evolution. It's not, nothing is going to be, 
um, design in a way that is going to answer all questions perfectly in the first go. And if we don't test, if we don't vet out the ideas by actually testing it, it will never reach its uh, final form. And it should not be a final form before we, you know, put your toes in the water a little bit because even, well, anyways, I, I, I support everything you said. And I actually just added that to my top dislikes. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think a lot of the time it probably comes from more of a high level leadership direction where they're scared like, oh, okay, I'm spending $30,000 $30, to build this thing. Is it actually going to work? And like you said, it could be something that is very low risk and just need to get it done and costing you time and resources and to vet out this idea before even finding out, you know, validating the solution with ways that actually validate the solution. Like, is that really worth it? Um, I feel your pain and I'm in it with you. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Yep. Very, very good one. Yep. Totally, <sighs> totally on board. Um, yeah, it kills me. Let, uh, let teams run, run those experiments. Let, let teams run, like let, let teams just, you know, yeah. get some, get some stuff done and built and, and out there. Um, I feel like we run organizational experiments far that are far more costly and far more time consuming, uh, without really even thinking through them. Like we'll, uh, you know, do complete like org changes, org structure changes where, you know, changing reporting lines and, and all of that, or like completely change right. internal software tools and stuff like that without really doing like tons of in-depth analysis or anything like that, but we're not going to, you know, let a development team, you know, build a prototype without, you know, several months of, of research on something like those just feel out of balance to me. Like we're right, running right. entire organizational experiments without doing massive analysis on that, but we're not, we're not doing like some prototypes and experiments on other things without doing that sort of stuff. Like those, those are the same things. Like you're running, you're, you're doing massive changes. One's doing a massive organizational change. One is like a small experiment for users, but like the requirements behind doing those are very, very different in, in many cases. Like I've seen that across different companies. Like you'll, you can do massive org changes at a company often because it's like leaderships will leadership groups will want that sort of thing. But the cost of that is soup can be super high and intensive or, you know, complete internal tool changes and that sort of stuff. Like, massive uh cost to that in getting everything switched over and that sort of stuff but the there's not the rigor and analysis the same rigor and, ana and analysis as uh you know hey we want to prototype something for uh you know for an experiment for new feature new product that sort of stuff like those scale wise are really, I think one, one is big and one is small, but the analysis is out of balance too. Like we, we shouldn't have to do big analysis for one and no analysis for another off of soapbox for that one. <laughs> and I'm cheering below the, below the podium, just like, yes, I voted, liked everything. Um, just want to bring up one 
piece of statistics on this too, is that like the method that we just talked about, right? Like usability testing, whatever it is that you, you know, do to vet out the vet out the idea. Um, there is ROI on, on, on UX, UX testing. And I think the, <laughs> this number is so wide. I don't know <laughs> how, um, when I say it out loud, you're going to want the source and I'm going to try to find it. Cause I read it a while back. <laughs> I don't know where to find it. McAfee actually this, uh, did an experiment on this too. Anyways, every dollar that you spend on UX and, uh, investigating the ideas and stuff, uh, bring, brings in between two to $1, uh, $100 in return. I'm going to post, uh, in the show notes a little more about that, but yeah, just want to put it out there. The end. Yep. All right. We're, we're going to switch over to, to likes. Otherwise we'll, we'll keep going on this for, for a while. All right. Great. Eva yeah. top likes. Oh, great. In UX design. Um, my top one is I love this job because I get to help people. I get to help to enable people through technology. And it's so rewarding when we work on something, you know, with engineers, with product managers and talk about all these meetings and blah, 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 everything we want to do. But when it comes down to like, okay, talking to a user and what they say, think anything like, oh, this was very convenient. That was very, you know, delightful. Whatever, you know, positive comments they have every time I'm just like, yes, thank you. (laughs) It feels really good. And, um, especially working on internal tools, like that gives me a different kind of high because it's, oh, I'm helping someone to make a living. I'm helping someone to appreciate technology instead of being fearful towards, um, technology. And I think this one is probably the biggest like, um, on my list is that I get to, you know, enable people and yeah, that's powerful to me. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how how do you see it? I, I do want to hear what you think. Like, do you feel similar? Yes. I, and you'll, yeah, I won't say too much. Otherwise I'll steal from my own list, but yes. <laughs> good, 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 strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then throughout the process too, and this segues into my second top like is that, um, th- throughout that process, I get to make something that is a very, what could be a very nebulous problem, make it more tangible and make it more understandable to help like, let's say leadership or whoever surrounding that are also working on the same problem to make it more, uh, make the solution more accessible and to understand why the solution actually works for the problem that we're trying to target, right. For the, for, for people that we're trying to help. And it feels a lot like untangling a hairball. <laughs> <laughs> I myself really enjoy that. And just turning a very complex problem into a simple solution is a very satisfying <laughs> um, type of work that I, I personally really enjoy. And I want to uh, quote this product designer at Abstract. Um, her name is Zara Zhang. And I think she summarized, uh, su- summarizes everything very neatly with a bow with this quote product design is a problem solving as energizing and satisfying as solving a complicated puzzle it's also an exercise in empathy so to me that's a perfect way to explain why this is um 
my job and (laughs) just why I like it a lot. And it can feel really dry sometimes when you're just at your desk trying to do test analysis or whatever it is uh, and then go to bajillion meetings. But it is working towards a greater goal. So I really, really enjoy that. And just being able to dive deep into a problem um, is also very satisfying. So I really, really like that aspect of product design. Um, And again, at the end of the day, when you hear someone finding your solution useful, that is a bonus. And if it doesn't work, then you go back and refigure it out. The scientific process of product design is um, it's great. Yes. So my third one is, um, that I get to be very creative and my work is very central to, to the success of the product itself. The decisions that I make in the process really matter to someone else's, you know, uh, day in, in their job, making a living or whatever it is that they're using your product for. I feel like on my like list, I have a lot of few good stuff, but it really <laughs> is to me about helping people in a way that seems invisible. (laughs) And I think product development is, I mean, it's not like we're out literally feeding people, but we have a lot of power to uh, make a change in a lot of people's lives. And I mean, we have talked about the, how people use their power for evil in product development, like um, dark patterns that we've Mm -hmm. talked. I don't think we've talked about it ever. Have we? I think think we've touched on it a couple times, but that'd probably be a good episode to have just in general. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's bookmark that. Um, so just using, using that as an example, like any, in, in a financial, you know, FinTech company making bad decision in your banking app, like that can lead to a lot of, you know, bad decisions on the user's end and affects their life, how they're going to pay their bills and all these things. And, but on the other side is that we also get to help people make good choices and help them to be more informed, um, through, through, through the product, but it could affect something that is very huge in their life. So, um, I really like that, that I can use my power for good. (laughs) (laughs) My last one that I really, really liked also is the cross-functional collaboration. Um, it's kind of the flip side of what I mentioned earlier about working with a million people (laughs) (laughs) and you're going to become the hub of like the users and also everyone, you know, that are on the same team working on the product with you, it can get exhausting, like I mentioned, but, um, at the same time, you really have a good bird's eye view on how some of the decisions get processed and then simmered into on the other side, how the users actually, you know, perceive that decision. And, um, I really like being, I guess, involved in in that process and also working with other folks to make sure, let's say how the backend data database structure actually affects, you know, the speed of the user getting data from their own, you know, um, performance in their tool or whatever it is. Having that experience, I think it gives me more empathy to how my colleagues (laughs) function and also understanding your product in just from... Yeah, the backend data structure, whatever it is, to just just across gives you um, more power to make decisions too. Yeah. So I really like that aspect of it. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. I feel like you have either taken a good portion of my list or like touched very very much on a bunch of them. <laughs> so 
Um, I'm just going to jump into mine and then we can talk about some of them. Cause I think we, we like are very, very in sync with some of the things that we like about our roles. First off is, uh, for me, kind of the corollary of being pulled in a lot of directions, which is very, very difficult <laughs> is the variety. So, so number, um, first one is just the variety in, in product management. You get to work a, a across a lot of different disciplines with a lot of different people and on a lot of different things. So that's one of the big things for me is just the absolute variety of different things that you're working on. Um, again, it can be, there can be parts of that that are very, very difficult. There are parts of that though, that are super gratifying and super exciting that it's not a job that is the same frequently. Um, as you come in, like people will ask, and I've even tried to write, like I wrote a, a while ago, uh, you know, what is the week in a product manager, uh, the week in a life of a product manager? Um, I, I was going to, I think it was going to write like the day in a life of a product manager, but that's, it made absolutely no sense to try and write that because the, <laughs> it varies so much day to day that like, it would be absolutely silly to try and say like, here's a normal day. Like, and oh, it would be nice if you even know what you're working on tomorrow, like from, from hour to hour and there's no fire, no unexpected meetings, yeah, right? Like yeah. that would be a luxury. <laughs> yeah. So like you can kind of take a week and be like, okay, a week is, is a good time frame that gives you kind of like a sample of all of the different things, but it's just a complete variety of different things. So that that's the first thing. Second thing, and you touched on this is working with a lot of talented and smart people. Um, particularly for me, this is this is what really got me into product management to begin with, was working with talented developers. Um, you know, when I first started out, uh, and I think I mentioned this like way back in our first episode, starting out in product management, even before I knew what product management was, I was working with a lot of the stakeholders and, and other people, but I was working closely with the development and team building a lot of the software. F absolutely fell in love with that because they were just absolutely like amazing uh, at taking the problems that we were trying to solve and actually building software and solutions to to do that sort of thing so being able to work with just really talented smart people is it, it's just awesome um that will be a lot of times as a as a product manager like the closest with your uh, product designer and the development team and then more um as you kind of extend out that circle with um, you know, other people within an organization, depending on, on your organization, um, you know, some of the, the marketing people and salespeople, a lot of, uh, people in leadership, you know, you get the opportunity to work with them as well. So get to work with a lot of really mm -hmm. smart and talented people. So that's, that's an exciting thing. You, you get to work with a lot of really great other product people as well. So in that, in that group of great people you get to work with, like there's a lot of really uh, it, it depends on the size of your product organization, but like right. other product people. Um, so group of yeah. product designers and just other product managers, like there are really, really great uh, product people that you get to work with uh, depending on the size of your product organization. So anyway, yes, I, I wanted to throw that in there. 
I can recall to specific moments where all the product people on the same team kind of bond over fighting politics. (laughs) (laughs) They say trauma actually helps to bond people together. (laughs) I think in this case, it's true. (laughs) Uh, Another one you touched on very specifically, uh, third solving real problems for, for people. Like that's a huge thing that is just, I think it's core to product management and product design. Like it's one of the things that if you get into one of these roles, like that's, that's probably why you do it or at least why you should be doing it. Um, and if, if you're not passionate about that, like this, this will be a terrible choice for you. If you are though, like if this is the stuff that you're thinking about all the time and I find myself like weekends and nights, like this is the stuff that I'm just like, Oh, I'm constantly thinking about. And it's, it, sometimes it can be one of the most, the more difficult things is you're constantly right. just turning over. Like, Oh, if we did these types of things like this morning, it's a Sunday morning. And <laughs> my wife and I were having a conversation about uh, getting better feedback in one of my products. Like that was literally, and I was like, oh man, like and it was like a <laughs> really good conversation, like back and forth on like how, how we can do it. And, and this is the kind of stuff like as a, as a, as a product person, you will be mm-hmm. talking about and you will be thinking about all the time. So, but it, it's cool because you will be solving like real problems. Um, I remember one time uh, this was uh, in, in a previous role, uh, we were, uh, we were creating a, a better experience for, uh, investing, particularly just normal you and I, like, how do we invest better? And the, the experience that we had was like terrible. Like we were, it, it needed to be just made a lot easier. And I saw that like going out and just talking to people and like having them show me what they were doing on our app. So we had an app people walking through and like just normal, like I'm, I'm pretty savvy. I come from uh, an investment background. Like I'm spent time on, on wall street and, and, and everything. So like having just normal people, I say normal people, I'm a, I'm a normal person <laughs> having just non-experienced investors, investors right. walk me through, like, just, you know, show me how, how you, how you use this, how you go about investing they had no idea how to use some of this stuff. And I'm like, we, we just have to make this way simpler and way better um, for, for people to be able to use. And yeah. because it's a huge problem. Like, I mean, I can see that from the start, but then going out and just talking to our users, talking to people who, uh, you know, don't, they don't want any background in that. Like they just want to be able to do a very simple thing. They don't yeah. want any, they don't want a background in, in, in investing. They just, they want to be able to get something done, have it there and forget about it. Like that was the goal was like, just get it done and have it do it for me. And so how can we do that? Like, how can we solve this problem so that somebody like, you know, uh, my, my sister or, um, you know, my friend who, is in another industry does not want to know about this sort of stuff can just get in, get, get the thing set up, get it done and forget about it. Um, those are real problems. They're exciting to solve and love, 
love doing that, making it easy and simple for anybody to use. Yeah, that's 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 great stuff for me. I love it. I just yeah. feed on it. That I, <laughs> if you're, if you're a product I'm, manager, like that's that's your that's that's yeah. like your spinach. It makes you stronger. And spinach. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I have to think back to some of my favorite moments, even like trying to work through these, how do we simplify something for the users and on the ground level, like what, what that conversation looks like is really like, okay, do we put it there? Do we incorporate all these things into, you know, this one button or like, however we design an interface. Right. And then I remember there was one time it got to a point where it was just like, this is so complicated. How do we like, Oh, do we have to do it this way? And the answer is yes, because the more thinking, the more work we do behind the scene, the less the user, you know, they're going to be the users that are going to be using it, less they have to do. And I really, truly believe that the time we spend solving these problems are never a waste of time. Yep. And the end, that is my, yeah, platform. Yeah, completely (laughs) agree. Yep. So final one. And this has its corollary in my dislike. So my dislike of short-termism in product and company thinking um, is I love the long-term product thinking. So being able to put together a, a like a strategy of a vision, you know, what are we trying to achieve? What is this ultimate experience? What is the ultimate goal of what we're doing? How do we, you know, if we look out, you know, f- you know, far out in the distance, like what what does this look like out there? I, I love, so again, I go back, this is kind of top of mind for me because I was writing about Amazon and Jeff Bezos um, recently, uh, so self-promotion, go check out that newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, I, I've used the Amazon future press release uh, frequently. I, I love it. I'm a huge fan of it because it forces you to think out and out, you know, a year or two, like, what does this look like for a customer? We just did something big. What are they saying about it? Like, what does the experience look like? And then you work backwards and say, okay, how do we get there and actually achieve this experience for them? Like, what do we need to do in order to get there? Doing that sort of exercise and then uh, working forward and saying, okay, we need to do these different things, take these steps and create in order to create not just the features, but the, the entire product, the experience and get there. And that's not to say that, uh, and I'm, I'm very much opposed to putting together like a project plan. That's like, okay, we do this milestone and then this one and this one, and then ultimately we get to this thing. Like we have to be very flexible in, in getting to that ultimate goal. Like it's not, it's not a perfect analogy of like, we have the plan of the Batmobile and we build it exactly to spec and that sort of thing. Like there may be things that come in that's like, Hey, we didn't realize we were going to do that or go in that direction. That's perfectly fine. You know, the, the blue arm, you know, maybe that fits inside and it serves drinks and, you know, Batman has a cool robot arm that, you know, hands him drinks while he's driving the Batmobile. We didn't realize that at at first, but good idea. So being flexible in getting there, but being able to create that. Um, One thing, one area that I did that in, uh, again, this is going back just a little bit, but creating, uh, this was working at an educational institution, 
creating the long-term strategic vision for uh, basically the assessment and evaluation platform. Like we, we wanted to figure out how do we make this entire platform seamless, cohesive, integrated. Um, Cause at that point it was like multiple different third parties. It was all in different areas, um, different experiences. And so that's what uh, we, we set out to do and created this entire strategic vision of, okay, this is ultimately where we want to go. Uh, and I remember I wrote the the future press release for that. Like we wrote it, put together the entire uh, vision for it, all of it working backward. And there were multiple actual multiple press releases within that that had kind of the different components and like here's how we're here's the different parts uh, of what will be within this bigger vision and all you know all the different ways that we that we're going to get there. Like it was a big thing, and then we started working on it and it was, I mean, it was a big undertaking. Um, but we started putting those different things in place. We started delivering on that experience and it was, it was like almost magical, uh, (laughs) seeing it come to life. Uh, and then I I was talking to a product manager, um, after I, I had already left, like we had released, um, some huge parts of it. Uh, and then I eventually moved on. And uh, we were talking a little while after, and he was telling me about how it was still moving forward, like this big vision that um, you know several of us had had been part of and had created, and was still like moving forward. Like that's the power of that sort of thing: is it 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 can live beyond any one person, and it can create something that is enduring. And gives you the ability to create products and experiences that will change organizations, that will change people's lives. Not to get like too grandiose about it, but like can be re- yes. really super powerful um, and can help you as as a team, as an organization, really focus on what matters the most and prioritize. And that's the thing that I think that everybody really wants. It's not. I think a lot of us can like roll our eyes and we're like, yeah, we need a vision or like a vision statement or whatever. Like the, that in itself is super lame. Like nobody wants like, <laughs> nobody wants right. like a vision statement to put up on your wall or whatever. The point is to have something that you're creating that you understand and then that you can work backwards from and prioritize against so that it's uh, kind of, again, going to that Batmobile thing. Um, forthcoming article on this because I, I love this idea. So I'm going to write about it some more. But so that we can say, like, you know, we know where we're going. Does this thing fit in ultimately with what we're going to do? Yes or no? Maybe it didn't originally, but maybe it does now. Like, does this new deal fit in with what we're trying to achieve? And if we all are kind of moving towards this same ultimate vision and goal, like we can work together and say like, yes, this fits in. We need to kind of change some things and reprioritize or no, it doesn't like this. This is a really great thing, but it doesn't help us get to what we're trying to achieve. And so we can collectively say like, no, uh, we're not going to do this. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit with what we're doing and really work together as a team, as an organization, as a company to, to move that forward. So that for me is, it's just, it's one of the best things um, as a product manager, as a product person, being able to 
put some of that together, like strategically, like what are we doing? How can we create the best product, the best product experience, the best, ultimately the best company? Like that's, that's what it's about and have something enduring rather than just creating features and, and different outputs actually create an outcome, create a change for users, for the company, like those And those are things that take time. Like it's, it may not be necessarily, you know, this quarter, like, Hey, we, we increased sales and hopefully we can, like, that's, that's something we all want to do. Like we we're in business, like we want to, to do good, but it's got to also be building towards, you know, where do we ultimately want to go? Which hopefully all of that aligns, like we're not just building something that is going to be awesome, but that nobody buys or doesn't, doesn't sustain right. a business, but like all of those things kind of work together to create a very good experience a very sustainable and, and profitable and good business and, and that sort of thing. So making all of those coalesce come together can be just very, very powerful. And I like what you said about like making sure the business can sustain, but of course, like don't sacrifice what your vision or mission you decided, mm-hmm. you know, it be, and if they conf- if the mission statements or uh, vision statement um, create create you know conflict with your business model, like is your business actually sustainable, and is the vision statement actually what you believe in, right? Like yep. these things should work together, and yeah, you need to be profitable. But this all <laughs> to me circles back to um, I'm actually really really glad you brought this up because. I just cannot stop thinking about Robin Hood <laughs> in this situation <laughs> where can you run a business and still keep, you know, your promise of what your application is built to do. And I'm looking at the <laughs> mission statement and I just don't think that's the case. And if you're building something that doesn't match with that, it, your mission statement just is simply an empty promise. Right. Yep. And I really like what you brought up. Just make sure what you're building matches to the vision or mission that you want to support. And it should, everything should fall under that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it gives, I mean, it gives everybody clarity on what, on what they're doing and what they're doing right now too. It's not just like some future thing. It's very, it's clarity on, you know, where we're going both in the future and what we're yeah. doing right now to get there. So it's, it's not like just some esoteric thing. It's, it's exactly. very concrete as to what we're going to prioritize, how we're going to get there. Um, so I think it's very meaningful in in all of those ways. I support. Uh, uh, everything's upvoted <laughs> and like <laughs> retweeted. So yeah, I think it's interesting that a lot of the things that I've said or things that you have said, we both kind of like, yes, agreed, agreed. Yep. And again, that goes back to what I said at the beginning, like it hasn't happened yet, but I do think that like the how the product manager, you know, functions and also what they hold as like, oh, this is the, our mission or this is our vision for our application is really, really important. And just the quality of, of yeah. our day-to-day. Um, so yeah, I think this to, I guess, the dislike and the like list kind of reinforced the idea that um, product manager and product designer, I think we are really on the same team within the team. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Uh, thank you for, for everything you brought up. I, I think you have really, you know, shine a light on all the things that are real about your role. Yeah. No, this has been been fun. It's been a good, this is a good session.
it feels Good therapeutic. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, five star review. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you guys have any input or anything that you feel is should be added to the, you know, dislike or like list, <laughs> tweet at us. Um, really want to hear what you dislike yes. or like. Yeah. I feel like I probably missed a bunch of stuff or even things that doesn't really matter to me in, you know, because I think all our experiences are probably specific to the orcs that we've been in, which I'm very curious what's out there. <laughs> yeah. So let us know. And this brings us to our product sh- shout out. Wait, do we have shout out or a gripe Sh- this week? Shout out. Well, I'll, I'll go with the shout out this week. So got to balance it out. Yeah. Balance it out. Uh, shout out to, uh, Tinkercad. So, uh, which is uh 3d printing design software, uh, which is just super Super cool, super simple to use, especially for kids. So uh, I think if anybody is into 3D printing and and 3D printing design stuff, they're probably familiar with it. Um, But yeah, uh, my son has been getting way into uh, 3D printing design and Mm. Tinkercad has just been, it's been so, it's been super fun. Like we've been using it and he's been using it like on his own just a ton to make a whole bunch of stuff. I have like a whole desk littered with things that he's been creating. Um, I'll, I'll hold this one up. This What's is like, he making? So this is a heart box. So it's got a oh. lid on it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Guys, it opens. It opens. Okay. It has, yeah. So it has a, a lid. So it's like a little heart box with a heart shaped lid that actually closes onto it anyway just and he did it yeah totally did it all himself it's super super cool but yeah it's great software um great for kids to like learn on and things like that great for adults too like i mean you can do just about anything in it all online so anyway shout out super fun it's been super fun he's been getting way into it he we've been getting back into 3d printing uh recently just to do a bunch of stuff and he wanted to make something that I was like, Oh, we'll never, like, we, uh, like, we're not going to find something like that to print. You're going to have to make it yourself. And he's like, how do I make it myself? And I was like, Oh, here, I'll show you. And so walked him through how to do it on Tinkercad. And he just, he took off with it started making a whole bunch of stuff. So shout like out. Real life Minecraft. Is that what it is? It's That's what he's doing. yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And it's cool. Cause he has a touch screen uh, laptop so he he can like manipulate it yeah so he's just like on there like totally manipulating like the 3d objects and stuff it's, it's it's fun to watch i think you and your son should partner so the 3d printing plus your woodworking you can probably make some sort of like transformer type robot or something together and i look forward to the future where you guys take over yeah yep yeah we're, we're almost That's- there <laughs> new biz coming soon yeah <laughs> that's really cool i thought at the beginning when you brought up when you said the name tinker tinkercad and i was thinking about oh is he talking about the the, the cat cafe that is in downtown area because it's <laughs> called Tinkercad. anyways um that's really cool especially technology that enables a little child to do all yep. these crazy things that's really cool yep See, enabling people to do things. Yeah. That's the coolest about technology. Yep. 
Definitely. Um, I am really curious about Tinkercad. And unfortunately, right now, when I'm getting on the website, just spinning, it doesn't huh. come very curious, but I'm definitely going to check it out after we do not have any capability to do 3d printing in this household, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, curious what people make really. I think that technology has advanced in the past two years, like, yep. uh, by the speed of light and I cannot follow what's going on anymore. Yeah. It's yeah, it's super cool. That's really cool. And okay, this week I'm also doing a shout out and this is um, to to Notion. It's a note-taking app that a lot of people love. I'm just getting into it. I'm about 10 years behind probably. Um, I really love that they keep note-taking. Uh, it's very organized, but my favorite part about it is that the, the way they let you choose different icons for your notes. It sounds really silly. It seems like just a delightful feature, but it does help me to find my notes within the application very quickly. And that's on top of all the other, other like awesome features that they have. Um, highly recommend it. And I love that you, you can also um, send out a link to people to publicly view your notes. And in case that's, you know, uh, there's a meeting, you need to show everyone the list of master list of whatever you're talking about. It makes it very easy. You don't have to copy and paste it in Slack or whatever chat application you use, you just kind of send out that link and be like, okay, this is what we were looking at. I love that, that, that linking and that, that's it. Nice. Notion. And nice. have I done a some- have I done a shout out to Notion? I don't think I have yet. Okay. So I, I second your shout out to Notion. I absolutely, I love, 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 uh, oh, yeah. everything, everything about Notion. So I use Notion for my note taking, um, for, a whole for a whole bunch of stuff and like keeping track of my weekly agenda and stuff. And then, uh, good notes for like my actual writing. So, and then you can copy that over into notion. So love it. Yay. So this podcast support, uh, supports notion and let us know if you want to sponsor, we'll keep loving notion. Yes. But yeah, shout out. Yay. Huge shout out. I, I feel like I have so much to learn, uh, cause there's just so many things you can do with it and yeah. definitely need to do some tutorials and learn. Yep. I want to build some crazy note sheet, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So good. Cool. And that is it. All right. Long episode and I hope you guys enjoy everything we've talked about and tweet at us and anything else, Kyle? No, that's it. All right. Ta-ta. See ya. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.